Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. A while ago, probably in the early 90s, I remember the talk of liposomes, spherical bubbles of lipids that had the potential to fuse with the cell membrane, because that's a lipid bilayer, and allow transit of specific payloads into a cell. So whether you were trying to deliver a drug or some other kind of compound, or perhaps DNA, which maybe could transform or transfect cells. This was a really interesting way to try to do this. And there were some successes along the way in that process. But how do you make this even better and define very precise formulations of lipids into particular size sphericals, nanoparticles, that now had the potential to do the same kind of job? And we saw this in the COVID-19 vaccine. So mRNA encoding the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein was encapsulated inside lipid nanoparticles. And these were delivered into the muscle, the deltoid muscle, in order to confer immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, or at least partial immunity, right? This worked very well because the lipid nanoparticle could fuse with the muscle cell and then inside open up and deliver the mRNA of the spike protein the mRNA encoding the antigen of question, and allow the cellular machinery to translate that protein using the ribosomes of the cell to make the protein and to induce an antigenic response. But it hasn't stopped there. More innovations in the area of lipid nanoparticles have allowed for a broader range of applications, some which we've talked about here on the podcast. But today we're going to focus strictly on the innovations of the lipid nanoparticle itself and how new innovations are allowing it to be more effective and deliver different kinds of payloads, namely pharmaceuticals that could have a role in different processes down the road. So we're speaking with Dr. John Lewis. He's the founder and CEO of Entos Pharmaceuticals. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lewis. Well, hi, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. I mentioned in the introduction that we are really in need of novel ways to deliver the newest therapies. And lipid nanoparticles are an outstanding vehicle for this. And it's not new technology. Most people learned about it during COVID-19. So can you give us a little more background on where this all started? Yeah, Kevin, it's actually quite the story. So research on on novel lipids began in Canada and Vancouver in the lab of uh, Peter Cullis, a a friend of ours, who was really interested in uh, the way lipids partition on uh, on the outside of a cell and when he started studying the behavior, he realized he could use certain lipids to be able to actually gain access to cells and therefore deliver things like nucleic acids, such as RNA and DNA. And so in the, it was about the 1990s when he first sort of showed this was possible. And then through a number of collaborations with companies, one of the big companies that really started this field was a company called Alnylam out of Boston. And he, Alnylam and Peter worked together for many years to optimize and create better lipids for this platform, which led to really this breakthrough first clinical trial for an LNP-based therapy in 2012 that eventually became the first LNP-approved drug in 2018, which is called Onpatro. 
Uh, and this is to treat a rare disease called HATTR amyloidosis. Yeah, I've heard of this one. This was actually really the predecessor of using a nucleic acid that was coated in a lipid nanoparticle. And people are surprised to hear that because I think it was always the COVID-19 injection. Yeah, so I think there were, you know, it was decades of sort of background work trying to figure out what lipids made sense, you know, how they behaved in the human body and sort of what kinds of therapies could be delivered so that the technology had come to a point, you know, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, that it was just primed to be able to rapidly adapt and be used to create two successful COVID vaccines. Well, very good. Can you give us a basic breakdown of what a lipid nanoparticle is and why are lipids the good delivery system compared to, say, other biological molecules? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so obviously, you know, we have billions of cells in our body. We've evolved over millions of years to reject or to, to avoid having foreign agents inject their you know, genetic material in our cells. So, so really, you know, there are a lot of defense mechanisms. And so there are only really a couple of very good ways to deliver DNA or RNA into cells for a therapy. And peas, obviously, have emerged as a major one. Viruses evolved for millions of years to be able to inject their DNA material in cells. But again, you know, once, once you see, you know, once your body, your immune system sees a virus, it recognizes it and doesn't let it come back in. And so this is why lipid nanoparticles are really compelling because they basically mimic what a cell looks like. They're made of the same lipids that a cell is made of. And so, so they can pretty much get in, into your bloodstream and get to cells and not be recognized as foreign, and then they're taken up by a, a very established mechanism, we call it endocytosis, which is basically a mechanism to pull in different material in the blood and either take it into the cell or, or process it. And, and there are very specific kinds of lipids that are incorporated in, in lipid nanoparticles that basically change their shape once they get into this endosome compartment and allow, basically break up a hole in the endosome and allow some of the you know, RNA or DNA to get into the cell and have its yeah, maybe we're kind of jumped the gun a little bit for listeners who may not understand sure. what's happening with the chemistry of a nanoparticle, a lipid nanoparticle, is that this is kind of a small sphere that will form in solution that we can put some sort of a payload inside, right? So this is a, a very, and about how big are they? Yeah, so they can vary in size, but typically they're between, they're in the nanometer range. These are, you know a hundred times smaller than a millimeter and, and thousands of times smaller than an inch, you know, not visible to the naked eye. Yeah. So these are small little bubbles basically of, of, of a lipid with some sort of payload inside that can fuse with the membrane of a cell and then be brought inside and then dump whatever the payload is inside. Do I have that right? That's correct. Okay. Just so that I get everybody on the same page. So what are some of the advantages of this kind of system, other than the immunogenicity that you mentioned, with, especially with regards to delivery of nucleic acids? Yeah, so the, the real benefit is in the fact that it is basically a platform technology. We've, you know, we've, we've sequenced the human genome in the 1990s, and in the meantime, we've developed these really incredible tools to be able to either turn genes on, turn genes off, or even edit genes in the case where there's a mutation that causes a deadly disease. And so the key for genetic medicines that are made with LNPs and other delivery systems is to be able to deliver the correct gene or the correct enzyme into cells that will actually cure that disease. 
And so with the nanoparticles have been just a spectacularly successful platform because as I said, they mimic what a cell looks like. They don't look foreign in the body and they're able to enter the cell through this established pathway for taking material and then deliver that life-saving drug inside the cell. And there's a few examples of companies, especially some that we've had on the podcast, that are using nanoparticles that are decorated with specific proteins that target them to discrete tissues, so prostate or cardiac tissue. Is this kind of the way that the field is rolling to target where nanoparticles can move throughout the body? Yeah, so we've seen with the development of LNP-based vaccines that excel really well when they're delivered locally. So in this case, in the muscle to make, you know, a vaccine that, that can protect us from COVID-19. The first approved drug, this Onpatro drug, is one that's given intravenously, IV. And the majority of the LNPs that are available today will go through the bloodstream and the majority of them will, will actually be taken up by the liver. And because you know, ATTR amyloidosis is a liver-based disease, this is ideal. I think the holy grail, the next step of LMV, LMP de development is in being able to hit organs outside the liver. Obviously, there's many debilitating diseases, you know, cystic fibrosis in the lungs, muscular dystrophy in the muscles that require delivery of a genetic medicine like an LMP outside the liver. And I think this has been the real challenge for the LMP field. And being able to target them to different tissues is one of the main mechanisms by which we think we might be able to do that. And sounds like a great idea. You know, it's an awesome delivery vehicle. But what are some of its limitations, either in terms of that targeting or how well they're tolerated by the body? Yeah, so the way I see it, the, the way the current technology and for LMPs, really two main limitations. And they're both really related to where they go in the body, as, as you brought up. So because of their formulation with these, these kinds of lipids that allow them to and deliver some of their genetic material, they have natural tropism or basically taken up by the liver. Now, the liver is an organ in the body that typically is there to, to take in particles of this size. And so I guess the main initial limitation is their biodistribution. You know, where do they go in the body? And about 85% of an LNP when you inject in the body goes to the liver. I would say the other, I would say, challenge is in actually their mechanism of action. So the way they get into the cell is through these, what we call ionizable lipids. So they're, they're fats, basically, that become charged, have a positive charge. And this actually creates a bit of a disruption in the cell to allow, you know, basically pokes a hole in it so they can get through. And the issue is, is when you have a high concentration of LMP in one place in the liver and they're poking holes, you're going to see some toxicity. And so being able to overcome both the concentration of the particles in one organ and then the toxicity associated with it, I would say is the main challenge of expanding the application of LMP to every disease. And we'll talk about that more on the other side of the break. So we're speaking with Dr. John Lewis. He's a CEO of Entos Pharmaceuticals. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast by Calabra, and we'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Calabra, the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization. With Calabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows, simplifying scientific IP governance, compliance, and analysis. Visit Collabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. 
C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. And we're speaking with Dr. John Lewis. He's the CEO of Entos Pharmaceuticals. And we're talking about modern innovations of reinventing the nanoparticle, the lipid nanoparticle, so that it can serve more different diseases. And earlier, we set the stage by talking about what LNPs were, some of their strengths, some of their limitations. And if you wanted to go back to the drawing board and really tweak this system, what could be done? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, if we look at the platforms available, so LNP is one of them. And the, really, the huge strength of LNP is that it can be rapidly adapted. Any gene, any RNA can be put in it to address any disease. And it's a platform technology that we know very well. It can be redosed, so it can be given again and again. So if we don't hit the right dose the first time, we continue to treat. And that's in contrast to, to the gene therapy approaches that we have now that use viruses. But again, the limitations, as I mentioned, are you know, where they get taken up in the body, specifically the liver. And, and then there, you know, there's toxicity issues when you give a high enough dose to treat some of these diseases we want. So I think, you know, I think the ideal delivery system would use an alternate mechanism of getting into cells. And I say this because viruses have evolved over millions of years to be able to do an amazing job of being able to get into cells and deliver their genetic material and accept they can't be redosed. And LNP do a great job of avoiding the immune system, but have these toxicity issues. So I think you know, the, the best case scenario is, is a particle that combines the best aspects, both viral and non-viral approaches, to be able to go everywhere on the body, but yet also to be doped multiple times. Okay, that's pretty good stuff. So why do viral fusion proteins help this process? Yeah, so many of the viruses that we're familiar with, you know, HIV, flu, they all, as a part of their infection, they make these viral fusion proteins that can very, very elegantly engage with a target cell and, and fuse with the outside of that cell to deliver their genetic material inside the cell to make more viruses. Except for the, the viral fusion proteins of flu and HIV are gigantic proteins that would be extremely difficult to manufacture and actually would elicit or create their own immune response. So, so at, at Entos Pharmaceuticals, one of our scientific co-founders, a virologist named Roy Dunk, some 30 years ago, found, discovered a novel virus that affects alligators and birds that makes a very, very tiny fusion protein. And he would got really excited about it back then, that if he incorporated it into a lipid particle like an LMP, he could actually cause that particle to fuse directly into a target cell and without causing any toxicity issues. And when you say a target cell, is that really saying a cell that it covers or contains some sort of a ligand that can fuse with that specific LNP signature from the viral domain? Yeah, that's a great question. So many of the, the viruses like HIV and flu, they do have a specific protein on the surface, a target that they, they stick to. What's really interesting about these fusion proteins that Dr. Duncan discovered is that they, they use a purely mechanistic biophysical approach to fuse with cells. So, so if, you, if you have this protein embedded into a lipid nanoparticle, all they have to do is get close to any cell in the body and they'll catalyze a fusion reaction whereby the lipid nanoparticle fuses with the target cell. Yeah, that's really cool. So if, if you're able to 
say, treat cystic fibrosis and get this into the, into the bronchial tubes or into, if you're treating, you know, some injecting SARS-CoV-2 RNA, you could do this in the muscle cells. But are there ways to get that target a little sharper, that targeting a little sharper by maybe having some way to target where that LNP would go with that same kind of domain? I mean, that's, that's, that's essentially the, the main challenge we have in nanoparticle biology. And, and I think the way I love to look at it is, is you can't target a tissue if you don't get there in the first place. So, and, and I would say the real challenge with the current LNP technologies is that because the vast majority of it goes to the liver, there's just not enough getting to the lung. There's not enough, you know, to the heart and other places where you want to have the treatment reach. So then our goal when we designed these sort of reimagined what an LNP could be, we created formulations that just go everywhere. And then we engineered in characteristics of the nanoparticle that made them selectively stick around in certain tissues like muscle, like lung, like the eye, where they could deliver their, you know, their therapeutic payload. And is, is that therapeutic payload doing something that's transient or is it really a stable introgression? So if you're delivering RNA or DNA, especially DNA, I guess, is this something that you would just be looking for a temporary expression of a gene? like in uh, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, or is this something where you are actually performing gene therapy by replacing a defective copy? So the, the, this would really depend on the disease you're trying to treat. So you're exactly right. So for a vaccine, you want a very quick pulse antigen so you can show the immune system what the danger is and the amount of immune response. But for diseases where we have you know, defective production of proteins, we need to replace that production. We need, you know, we want to deliver something that is pressed for very long periods of time, you know, ideally the entire life of the patient. And so with our, our proteolipid vehicle platform, we're able to interchangeably sort of package and deliver either RNA or DNA. So, so there may be situations where you just want to make the therapeutic for a couple of weeks and that an RNA would make a lot of sense for that. But there may be situations where you want long durability, you know, pressed for years or even tens of years in this case stable DNA cargo would make a lot more sense. Is there any evidence that shows that this can be a really long-term delivery vehicle? Like, you know, can actually induce those decades-long deliveries? Yeah, so Antos hasn't been around long enough to do the decades experiments, but we certainly do have some very promising data preclinically in a number of different animal models showing that when we deliver DNA systemically, we're able to see expression well out over a year. And so this is, you know, similar expression, I would say levels comparable to the current approved gene therapies, except now in a delivery system that's easy to manufacture, can be redosed, can be used to package a wide variety of different cargos, including editing cargos. And I guess the thing that always comes back to is the safety question. And you mentioned, you know, some of the levels of potential toxicity and some of the issues that could happen at extremely high doses. But if you look on the internet, and especially around discussion of SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, there's all kinds of discussion about nanoparticles ending up in different places, like in the ovaries and, you know, leading to infertility and all this stuff. How much do we know about localization beyond the liver? And what do we know about relative safety? The safety question is a very important one. And for nanoparticles, a lot of thought and care has been put in put into establishing the safety. And obviously we're, we're still doing clinical trials and we're still trying to understand exactly the consequences. And I would say 
you know, it really depends on the disease you're treating. So, so obviously with the vaccine, safety is, is really critical because you're treating a healthy population and it's a preventative measure. Obviously, the that, that sort of risk fit equation is different in a cancer patient, is different in a child dying of a rare genetic disease. So I think as we better understand the safety implications of lipid nanoparticles and, and lipid-based particles, we'll be able to, you know, make those decisions. For our platform, Again, since we're using a different mechanism of action than the LNP, we've been able to sort of completely change the lipid composition of the formulation. So we're primarily using lipids that are already present in the human body. So delivering more of those lipids has no consequence. And so, and so then, you know, the, the key questions of safety really depend upon what you're delivering. So is the gene you're delivering, does, is there a risk to make it in, in an organ that you wouldn't or, or can you build in safety switches so that doesn't happen? And I guess that really leads into my next question because you're, you're basically making the vehicle to do the delivery of a drug that would be approved or be tested in clinical trials. So how does that work from a regulatory standpoint? Do you have a separate regulatory loop for the nanoparticle delivered version of a drug or is it the nanoparticles themselves? How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so, and it is really two two separate questions in that the delivery vehicle, for the most part, will be identical, if not very similar, between different medicines, and the cargo will will be substantially different between medicines. And I think our goal as a company is to get you know enough exposure, enough information on the safety of the delivery system, so that we can then go to the regulators and, and then plug and play different cargos for different diseases. Because I think. You know, the real exciting promise of genetic medicine is that with a safe, effective, redosable cargo that can go anywhere in the body, there's really no disease out of our reach. And it's just a matter of our creativity and coming up with cargos to cure those diseases. And have these revised lipid nanoparticles with the viral protein fusion, are those currently being used or what's the approximate timeline to approval? Yeah, so we, so Entos during the pandemic developed COVID-19 vaccine. It's very similar concept to the RNA vaccines made by Pfizer and Moderna, except ours is made with DNA. And we made the decision to use DNA because DNA is super stable, right? You can pull DNA out of dinosaur bones intact, you know, for instance. And we thought this would solve the supply chain issues and, and create, you know, allow countries that don't have access to these RNA vaccines to have access. And we also have evidence that DNA makes the antigen for longer. So we think we can create a booster, for instance, for COVID that is much more durable. And so this vaccine is just sort of an end stage of clinical phase two trials. And we're hoping they're into phase three trials uh, later this year. We're also developing a wide variety of other therapies, therapies for, so for brain diseases, CNS diseases. We have uh, this really wonderful, productive collaboration relationship with Eli Lilly, where we're, we're hoping develop you know, some really groundbreaking genetic therapies for, for CNS disease. We have a great relationship with the companies like Biomarine developing you know, sort of breakthrough therapies for rare diseases. And we also we, you know, have a keen interest in, in oncology and cancer. So we have some really exciting new therapies that we're developing for cancer as well. Well, you mentioned all these collaborations, which really is the power of this technology, the, the ability to put anybody's payload inside your vehicle. And is there one that really sticks out to you as showing potential promise? Yeah, 
One thing that's really personal for me is, is the treatment of cancer. My father-in-law passed away from metastatic kidney cancer almost two decades ago. And to be honest, I was appalled at the lack of you know, options there were for treatment metastatic cancers at that time. So, so I'm really passionate about curing metastatic cancers. There's a really exciting approach, an immune-based approach to cure cancer called CAR-T therapy. And currently, CAR-T therapy is performed by taking the uh, sort of the immune cells out of your body, programming them to, to recognize the cancer using a gene therapy, putting them back in your body. But what if we could, through a single injection, introduce the instructions to program your T cells you know, in your bloodstream? I think that's a, that's a really exciting application of a technology that we already know works and could be adapted and make it much more available much more applicable to different kinds of cancer. So we're really excited about that. And that's something I didn't know about because CAR T cell therapy, we talk about it frequently on the podcast, but it always has that limitation of someone has to do this very expensive and challenging engineering step of, of T cells. And so now if you can get lipid nanoparticles to find the T cells and deliver a payload, now you're automatically programming them inside the body, which takes out that really tricky step. Absolutely. We think it would potential game changer in the future. Now, that's really exciting. So what is the timeline for approval of these kinds of technologies? Yeah, so it's, it's always a little longer than you'd hope, but, but it, it will come. I think, you know, for us, a, a huge clinical proof of concept was our COVID vaccine. We know it's safe in people. As a company, we've learned a lot about how to manufacture the platform safely to, to scale it, the commercial scale. Thank Again, our goal is to adapt this to become a plug-and-play platform. So, you know, one day we can have a cancer program, one day we can have an infectious disease program, another day a rare disease program. And so we have about five programs internally that we're bringing forward to phase one studies. And we expect in the next two to three years to start multiple clinical programs, obviously starting phase one, but hopefully rapidly through to approval. If people want to learn more about Entos Pharmaceuticals, where would they look online or possibly on social media? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess the best place to look is our website, www.entospharma.com. And we're also on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Oh, very nice. Well, thank you very much. Dr. John Lewis of Entos Pharmaceuticals, thank you so much for informing us about the current state of innovation around lipid nanoparticles. And something we've heard a lot of in the last few years and probably hear a bunch more in the future. So thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Biotech. Again, one that gives us another ray of hope of new therapies that can be delivered via novel strategy. We've talked a lot about viral delivery. We've talked about lipid nanoparticle delivery now. And these types of therapies can be further honed to treat these rare problems or maybe more common ones. But this is really exciting technology that's coming to us fast and furious. So thank you very much to our guests. So thank you very much for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.